0: you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone.
1: history lesson before we enter the Twilight Zone tonight. It's a lesson that I don't suppose American listeners will particularly need but the rest of us might need a little refresher. I'm not gonna dwell on it too long but for those of us outside the US who may not have learned about Abraham Lincoln in school as time goes on and different generations are Maybe a little less interested in history. Some might actually believe him to be a work of fiction. Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, that sort of thing. But he was the 16th president of the United States of America. His achievements were many. One of the most important being that he abolished slavery. He was born on February 12th, 1809 and he died on April 15th, 1865 as Lincoln was sitting watching a play in a theater, an actor by the name of John Wilkes Booth, who was a Confederate spy, came up behind him and shot him in the head, then made his escape. Now that really is just Abraham Lincoln in brief, because in a way who he was and what he did doesn't really come into this episode of the Twilight Zone that much. He's almost pretty much a device could have been any person in history who was assassinated could have been JFK, could have been anyone they just needed to go back in time and try to stop something so who he was and what he did becomes kind of secondary to what the episode tries to do so let's get into it and see exactly what I mean by that in tonight's episode of the Twilight Zone Back There
2: what you the uh, What's your point? That if it were possible for a person to go back in time, there'd be nothing in the world to prevent him from altering the course of history? Is that it? That's right. Let's say, Corrigan, that you go back in time. It's October 1929, the day before the stock market crashed. Now, you know that on the following morning, securities are going to tumble into an abyss. Now, using this
0: prior knowledge,
2: there's a hundred things you could do to protect yourself. But I'd be an anachronism. I really don't belong back there. You could sell out the day before the crash. But what if I did and started the crash earlier? Now, history tells us that on October 24th, 1929, the bottom fell out of the stock market. That's a fixed date. It exists as an event in the history of our times. It can't be altered. And I say it can Now, what's to prevent me, say, from going to a broker on the morning of October 23rd or the 27th? Mm -hmm.
0: Witness a theoretical argument. Washington, D.C., the present. Four intelligent men talking about an improbable thing like going back in time. A friendly debate revolving around a simple issue. Could a human being change what has happened before? Interesting and theoretical because whoever heard of a man going back in time? Before tonight, that is. Because this is The
1: Twilight Zone. First broadcast on January 13th, 1961. Written by Rod Serling and directed by David Oreck McDeeman. We've came across David Oreck-McDemon in Execution, which has another link to this episode and a thing about machines. The first I liked, the second I didn't. So let's see how this one works out. Now, if you've listened before to the Twilight Zone podcast, you will know how happy I am when Rod Sailing's opening appearance is done well, if he's put into the scene in an interesting way. Now this one is very simple, but I do absolutely love it. The camera is focused on the table, in the club, watching Pete Corrigan and his friends talking and playing cards. Then it just pans over to the right, and Rod Sailing is sitting, reading a newspaper in a chair. Then he puts it to one side, and he gives his open narration very simple but just having them there in the scene like that just really adds something to the whole thing for me the narration itself is quite simple but we'll come back to that in a moment i do often hypothesize about what the twilight zone actually is how it works if you like probably completely overthinking it but you know that's what fans do i've spoken about how rod serling in the twilight zone is more than just a presenter He just doesn't turn up and say, here's this week's story, see you later. He's kind of like an emissary of the Twilight Zone, a part of the fiction. Whether he's a guide or a God, we don't really know. Now, whether the Twilight Zone touches your life in some way can depend on certain things. A lot of the time, it's to teach someone a lesson to allow them to move on. Other times, it's there to punish someone This time round, without getting too ahead of ourselves, Corrigan seems to be a decent guy, you know, no punishment needed. He was just having a hypothetical chat with his friends at the club. And it's almost as if this emissary of the Twilight Zone, this fictional representation of Rod Serling was there by chance. He heard the conversation and thought, well, if you want to know how time travel works, Take a little trip into the Twilight Zone and find out. And I think this is kind of key to how the episode plays out. Now, Martin Graham's Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic documents that Rod Sailing originally conceived of this as an hour-long teleplay. It was offered to the Armstrong Circle Theatre because that was the only hour-long anthology series on TV at the time. But they weren't interested in it and the sponsors for the Twilight Zone weren't willing to expand their half hour time slot. So Rod Serling resorted to shortening the script and making a regular Twilight Zone episode. Now Martin Grams Jr. also includes a letter that was sent to Rod Serling from a guy called Mignon McLaughlin and it was sent on April 10th, 1959. Now I'm not sure whether this actually was the, um, the catalyst for Sailing's version of the story or not, but he wrote Dear Rod. I've thought up a play idea which Reggie Rose seems to think might be suitable for the new series you're doing. We open with Lincoln attending Ford's theatre. John Wilkes Booth takes a shot at him, and either misses him altogether, or only wounds him superficially. Lincoln then goes on to face his bitter foes in the North and South, the hostile press, all the problems of reconstruction, As defeat piles upon defeat, and mess upon mess, his mighty spirit is all but crushed. Then one night he is called on, by an unearthly visitor, who offers him a chance, to go, not ahead, but backwards in time, to be shot and killed that night by Booth. Lincoln, seeing this as cowardly, rejects the proposition, but the visitor argues eloquently, that not only would this preserve Lincoln's enshrined and inspiring place in history, A consideration that does not sway him, but that also, just possibly, another man might grapple more successfully with the nation's post-war agonies. In the end, this persuades him. He consents, the years are wiped out, and we are back at Ford's on the fateful night, and this time, Booth's shot succeeds. I have a thing about period stuff, so I don't want to write it myself, but I hope that perhaps you'll do it, or form it out to someone, in any case best wishes now that is interesting because on the last twilight zone podcast i played you two radio plays both of them were people going back and trying to save lincoln and so is this episode of the twilight zone but that was one where it was sort of an alternate reality and it was about lincoln making that decision himself so a little different so back to the episode our main character pete corrigan walks out of the club after this conversation with his friends, and after a moment of disorientation, Corrigan finds himself wearing different clothes, and the clothing of the people in the street suggests he's in a different time. So no time machines, no professors, just a momentary slip of time. Now, if you recall, the last time we met the actor who plays Pete Corrigan, Russell Johnson, it was in another time travel episode, Execution, where he was the professor who invented a time machine. But this time round, it's simple, it's elegant, and it's all it needs to be in the Twilight Zone. So Corrigan does what most people probably would. He goes home, but he finds that it's not his home anymore. It's currently occupied by Mrs. Landers, who runs it as a boarding house. So he asks whether he can have a room. She agrees, but while he's on his way up, he hears something that piques his interest from two other guests.
0: Good evening, Mrs Landers. Good evening. Off to the play? Yes, dinner at
2: Willows, and then off to the play. Well, enjoy yourselves. Applaud the president for me. We'll certainly do that.
0: Good night, have a good time.
2: What did you say?
0: Well, what did I
2: say? To the officer. You said something to him. She just said something to you about the president. She told me to applaud him. Where might your sympathies lie? Yes, young man. Which army were you in? Well, I was in... the Army of the Republic, of course. (laughs) Well, then why make such a thing of applauding President Lincoln? It's his due, we figure.
0: That and everything else, God bless him.
2: You're going to a play tonight? We
0: -hmm. may or may not, depending on when my husband makes up his mind to call a carriage to get us to the theater and to dinner.
2: What theater? What play?
0: Well, Ford's theater, of course.
2: Ford's Theater. Ford's Theater.
0: Are you all right? I mean, are you feeling all right?
2: What's the name of the play?
0: I beg your pardon?
2: The play, the one you're going to tonight at Ford's Theater, what's it called? It's called Our American Cousin. Our American Cousin. And Lincoln's going to be there. And it's April 14th, 1865, isn't it?
1: So Corrigan knows where he is, he knows when he is, and he knows what happens on this date in history. The question is, what's he going to do about it? Well, without hesitation, he races to Ford's Theatre, and he's obviously decided he's going to save President Lincoln, and Russell Johnson has decided that he's going to dial his performance up to 11. More about that later on. So, banging on the door to the theater only manages to get Corrigan arrested for his troubles. So he goes to his cell, and then a fellow named Jonathan Wellington comes to the police station.
3: Wellington, Sergeant. Jonathan Wellington. And What can we do for you, Mr Wellington? Uh, that man you just had incarcerated, uh, Mr Corrigan, I believe you said his name was? Drunk, sir. That's probably what he is. Drunk, or, or perhaps ill. I wonder if he might be remanded in my custody. He might well be a war veteran. I'd hate to see him placed in jail. You say you want us to remand him in your custody? Precisely. I'll be fully responsible for him. I think perhaps I might be able to help him.
1: All right, sir, if that's the way you'd like it. Wellington is played by an actor called John Lassell, and there's nothing of particular note on his resume. He played four different roles in the television series The Fugitive, he had an ongoing role in the supernatural soap opera Dark Shadows as Dr. Pete Guthrie. I guess the only other thing of note to us is that he was in an episode of The Night Gallery as Colonel Hawes in Little Girl Lost. So so I guess he is one of those working character actors who just did a bit of everything.
3: Who are you anyway? The moment I'm... Your benefactor. Apparently your only friend. I'm in the government service. But as a young man in college, I dabbled in medicine of a sort. Medicine? Medicine of the mind. Psychiatrist. Don't know the term. What about the symptoms? They do interest me. This story you were telling about the president being assassinated. What time is it? This time? Half past seven. Play doesn't begin for another three quarters of an hour. What gave you the idea that the president would be assassinated? I just happen to know, that's all.
1: Now, we're at the point in the Twilight Zone podcast where some of the actors are starting to recur now, actors like Russell Johnson. So I'm not just going to go over his life story if I've already done it. I did mention before how Russell Johnson played the professor who invented a time machine in the episode Execution. Now that was a much calmer, more measured character. This time round he's full of urgency and he seemingly has one eyebrow permanently cocked and talks in very urgent sentences that get a little bit higher at the end. And it's, it's not bad per se, but I do kind of feel he's overacting a little bit. So earlier on when he was arrested, there was one cop who thought that maybe people should be taking Corrigan a little more seriously just in case. And after Wellington drugs Corrigan, it's this officer who finds him drugged, laying on the floor in Wellington's room. He was shot from
2: behind. That's how it happened. Then the assassin jumped from the box to the stage and ran out of the wings. You're telling me this as if it has already happened. It has happened. It happened a hundred years ago. And I'm here to see that it doesn't happen. Where's the man who brought me here? Where's Wellington? Wellington? There's no one here by that name. Don't tell me there's no one here by that name. He brought me here. He lives in this room. There's no one here by that name. name. I tell you, the man who brought me here is... Na- mm. J.W.B. Of course. Mr. John Wilkes Booth, who lives in this room. And that's who brought you here. He told me his name was Wellington. And that's why he drugged me. He gave me wine and he drugged me. He didn't want me to stop it. He's the one who's going to do it. You've got to get to that theater. You've got to stop him, John Wilkes Booth. He's going to kill Lincoln. Please, you've got to stop him.
1: Oh dear, it turns out that Wellington was actually John Wilkes Booth all along. Now, Corrigan obviously knew his history enough to know the date and place that Lincoln was killed, but maybe he should have paid attention to his books a little more in school because because the actor John Lassell, with the way he's made up, is a pretty decent likeness for John Wilkes Booth. So now Corrigan has an ally, the cop, who believes him. But it's too late and all that's left to do is a little bit more overacting. By Russell Johnson
3: I tried to tell you
2: I tried to warn you why didn't you listen why didn't you listen why didn't you listen to me
1: so after this Corrigan goes back to his own time and back into the club and one thing has changed the attendant at the club William who he saw before he left is no longer an attendant He's now one of Corrigan's circle of friends. I was
2: just telling the boys here, Corrigan, my great-grandfather was on the police force here in Washington the night of Lincoln's assassination. He went all over town trying to warn people that something might happen. How he figured it out, nobody seems to know. It's certainly not recorded any place. But there is so much publicity about it that people never forgot him. He became chief of police, then a councilman, did some wheeling and dealing in land, and became a millionaire. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, shall we get back to our bridge?
1: So it would seem that in the matter of time travel, some things can be changed and some things can't. And in Sailing's closing narration, he says as much. The threads of history are tightly woven, but there are small fragments of the tapestry that can be altered. Time travel can be a really interesting story device. It can be used just for fun or it can pose bigger questions. This story, for example, if you could go back in time and save Abraham Lincoln, should you? What would the effect of that be? Tragic though it was, did his death actually put America on a certain track, a better track than if he'd lived? Did he become more than just a man, more than just a president? Did he become something bigger? So it certainly is a good question, but it's not one that this episode tries to answer, or even discusses. Is it really obliged to? Well, no. I think there is a lot of mileage going down that road, having that discussion. It perhaps even becomes more of a discussion when you speak about someone like Hitler, someone who was responsible for millions of deaths, if you could kill him when he was young should you do it, they even made a twilight zone out of that one in the 2000 series so that scenario is actually pretty tempting but this episode back there is more concerned not with the should you but with the could you and the conclusion that it comes to is that you can't well maybe just a little bit. Douglas Brody wrote in Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone the 50th anniversary tribute that time travel stories tend to fall into two categories. In one category, if you go back into the past and try and change things, then something else will balance that out and things will just end up the same anyway. For example, let's say Corrigan stopped John Wilkes Booth, but then one of his co-conspirators killed Lincoln instead. That sort of thing. Now, the other category that Brody mentions is that you can go back and change anything, and this may have a big impact on the future in many ways. So in this case, let's say Corrigan did stop Lincoln's assassination, and then we have an ending where Corrigan comes back to an America that is completely different and not necessarily in a good way. So Rod Serling's outcome was somewhere in between. The big things, the big events, the pivotal moments, the pivotal people are all written in stone but the people on the periphery, the ones who maybe don't matter as much, whose lives don't impact world events so much, well, their path can be altered. So it's an interesting way of looking at things, but is it any good? Mark Zichri in the Twilight Zone Companion doesn't think so. He says, for all the intellectual fascination of its premise, back there is a dramatic failure. The reason is obvious. From the outset, the conclusion is known. Lincoln was assassinated, therefore Corrigan won't be able to intercede. And Buck Houghton, the producer of the Twilight Zone, seems to agree with him. He said, I think that when you play ducks and drakes with the shooting of Lincoln, your suspension of disbelief goes to hell in a bucket. For me, I'm not as down on it as they are. I do see where they're coming from, though, and I wouldn't hold this up as a, a really great Twilight Zone. I do wonder whether this would have been better as that hour-long version that Rod Serling originally intended. Get some of those questions in there about whether he should do it, that sort of thing. There's not a huge amount of drama in it either, there's no real race to save Lincoln, he just kinda goes there, gets knocked out and then he dies. By the time Corrigan is really in a position to do anything about it, Lincoln's already dead. And there's not much in the way of lessons either. I spoke in the beginning about how sometimes there's a moral to a Twilight Zone. Someone gets some sort of ironic justice. This time there's not much other than a theory on time travel. But that's okay. You know, everything doesn't have to be a lesson. Sometimes things can just be for the hell of it. And I think from the get-go, it seemed to be, you want to know how time travel works? Here you go. Take a look at this. So I think it's enjoyable for what it is, it's an interesting diversion that doesn't really do anything else other than be just that. No lessons, no moral, no punishments, just a little what if, and sometimes that's fine. In 1998, a show called Early Edition, about a man who receives tomorrow's newspaper today, every day, actually used the sailing Dialogue from this episode, in that episode, and it was called Hot Time in the Old Town. And they actually digitally inserted Rod Sailing in. Now, I did look for that to try and see it. And I found the episode online and I was sitting watching it through. And it's like, okay, there's no Rod Sailing, there's no Rod Sailing. And I actually went through the whole episode to try and find him, but he wasn't there. Now, it turns out that in syndication, he was removed from the episode for some reason. So if anyone does come across it, then do send it my way because I would quite like to see where he fitted in. I have mentioned in the past that I have a book called Rod Sailing's Twilight Zone and it has 26 stories in it that are adapted by a writer called Walter B. Gibson. Now I got my copy on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in Florida many years ago. And while the overall outcome of the story is the same, Gibson actually changes the story quite a bit. He doesn't just fill gaps, he expands things and he changes other things. He does things like change Corrigan's story. In the episode it very much seems that Corrigan's known these guys for years, but in the literary version, it's the first time he's ever went to that club. Instead of just walking out the door, he actually slips over and bangs his head, and then he wakes up in a different time, so there is this thing of well, did he actually go back in time or was it just a delusion brought on by the head injury? When he is back in time, the story is expanded and there's things like him running into co-conspirators of John Wilkes Booth, that sort of thing. There's also a bit more of an exciting chase at the end to try and get to the theater to stop the assassination. He also does something a bit different with the attendant situation. He doesn't actually change from an attendant to one of uh, Corrigan's circle now. It's handled a bit differently, and it's actually separated into two different characters. So it's a bit expanded, it's a bit different. In a lot of ways, you could actually say it's better. It still doesn't ask those big questions that much, but it seems to just be able to breathe a bit more. It's not so quick, and there's a bit more to it, so it's a way they read. And in a little extra twist, that kind of harkens back to what Sailing wanted to have done with Whereas everybody, but didn't do it in the episode, but did it in the book version, the ending of this one is a bit different too. It says, The cab was arriving on the well-lighted street where Corrigan now was looking in vain for the gaslit lamppost that had been the coachman's beacon when the carriage arrived back from the theatre. William flagged the cab and as Corrigan was getting in, the doorman handed him a bit of cardboard. "'This was in the pocket of the old-time suit you were wearing,' said William. "'So I suppose it must be yours. Good night, Mr. Corrigan.'" Soon the cab was speeding along a smooth street into the blaze of lights that represented downtown Washington. They passed the now-completed Washington Monument, which was illuminated to its full height. And off beyond, Corrigan saw the stately pillars of the magnificent Lincoln Memorial. Then, as the cab reached the bridge, leading to the airport, Corrigan studied the printed cardboard strip that William had handed to him. Deliberately, he tore the strip in half, then again, again, and again. Near the middle of the bridge, Corrigan tossed the pieces from the cab window. Caught by the night breeze, they fluttered over the rail and down to the broad bosom of the Potomac River. Those scattered scraps were all that remained of a unique collector's item, the only unused ticket to Ford's Theatre on its closing night of April 14th, 1865.
0: Mr. Peter Corrigan, lately returned from a place back there. A journey into time with highly questionable results. Proving on one hand that the threads of history are woven tightly and the skein of events cannot be undone. But on the other hand, there are small fragments of tapestry that can be altered. Tonight's thesis, to be taken as you will, in the Twilight Zone.
1: Now, usually when I get emails and things from people, I read the ones out that are about an episode, giving their insights and things into into episodes, and I do get a few just saying great job on the podcast, which I always appreciate. Now, I don't tend to read those out much because it seems a little um, self-serving, but... The last episode about the story of Dust. I got a few nice messages on that, and I think, you know, I'm going to share these because it was a bit of a special episode. I got this one from Mark, and he says, Great job on the episode The Town Has Turned to Dust. Probably the single best step of any podcast I've ever listened to. Hopefully someone will nominate you for one of the audio awards. Well, thank you, Mark. That's really kind of you. And I also got one from gentleman who's contacted us before as well gentleman by the name of gus and he said tom i had to send you a note congratulating you on the wonderful story of dust episode of the twilight zone podcast thank you sincerely for putting together such an important and comprehensive program the historical and literary importance of the story of dust is one that was in danger of being forgotten in the modern mass media maelstrom i applaud you for rescuing it and bringing it back into the ether Perhaps someday we will see yet another chapter in the evolution of Sailing's cautionary tale. Quite possibly, quite possibly. Thank you Gus, I appreciate that. A long time friend of the show Sydney sent a message saying, Listening to your podcast on Dust, and I'm so glad that you included Emmett Till in it. So sad and tragic. And I commented that it's a story that's not as well known here in England as it was in the US. And she said... It's very well known over there, often referred to in discussions on racism, and she'd seen the open casket photos before and found them to be heartbreaking. Absolutely, I agree with that. Thank you, Sydney. I appreciate you getting in touch. So that's another Twilight Zone episode in the can. Next time round, if memory serves, we're going back to one of those videotaped episodes, so we'll kinda see how this one holds up. It's called The Whole Truth, And we'll be looking at that next time on the Twilight Zone podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, I always appreciate it. You can send feedback about the episodes to feedback at Podcast.com. And while I know that my schedule has been very erratic over the last year or so, I'm really going to try and push to get things. I know you've heard it before. I'm really going to try and push to get things a bit more regular And something that really helps getting the word out there about the podcast is iTunes reviews. So if you could take a moment to leave a a review on iTunes for me, I would really appreciate it. And, um, you know, thanks to those who already have, because there's really some great reviews on there, and it really helps get the word out there. So that's enough from me, and I will see you next time in the Twilight Zone.